We are in uh, Matthew chapter 28. Uh, if you're using the Supplied Bibles, page 835. This is a familiar, I think, portion of Scripture to many of you. Uh, it's what's known as the Great Commission. We're going to be looking at three verses here this morning. And I, I simply want to read these three verses as you find your place there. And as we begin our time in the Word, Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20, again, page 835. Here's how Matthew ends his gospel with the words of Jesus Christ. He says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Last week, we began a series looking at life rhythms. We looked at how God created a world with certain rhythms, certain patterns designed in our life, in his world, to be a blessing to us. And then we looked at sin uh, has, has entered in the fall with Adam and Eve in the garden, and then that's, that has carried on through every person born since, uh, except our, our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, but sin has broken this world. It's distorted even the very rhythms that God has given to us as a blessing. And though we can't escape sin's brokenness, we can live in a way that is countercultural, that is trusting that God's design for our lives is enough. And we can do this ultimately because of the work of Christ. I already mentioned the verse. You'll probably hear it many times throughout this series. But if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And believers are a new creation, free to live in the way God has intended. Which brings us to our key theme, key truth for this series in Christ, we are free to live life as God originally intended. Can we say that together uh, this morning? In Christ, we are free to live life as God originally intended. Now, absent from the four primary rhythms that we'll be looking at of worship, work, eating, and rest is evangelism and discipling. You, you don't see those on uh, the rhythms that are on the, the slides and that we'll be looking at, is this because that that is not an important thing, making disciples, this command that Jesus gives to us, is this something that Christians should not be overly concerned with? I think we would answer, absolutely not. It is something that we should be very concerned with. But the reason that disciple-making is not included in our four rhythms is because I think when we look at Scripture, Scripture speaks as disciple, of disciple-making as something that we're always engaged in. It's just part of life. So sharing the gospel in word and deed is not something that is separate from our worship, but actually happens through our worship. It's not something separate from our work, but happens through the way in which we work. 
It's not separate from our eating, but happens through the way that we approach our eating and our meals. It's not something separate from our recreation and our rest, but happens in the way that we recreate and rest. We are mission people. Always on when it comes to spreading the glory of God and making disciples. We don't set our mission aside in order to worship, in order to work, in order to eat, in order to rest and recreate. We actually engage others in mission as we arrange our lives around these things. Now, I will say there are some whose work or their vocation is going to entail more time spent engaging others directly with the gospel. Those that we would think of as missionaries and pastors and evangelists, God has gifted them to the church to have more time spent. There's going to be times as a church where we do strategic ministries to evangelize and disciple. However, ultimately, this is an every believer command and every believer responsibility. It doesn't matter who you are as a believer. We are all called to this mission and we'll look at that. We are a people called by God to be on mission. Each and every one of us. And I want to I just ask this question and, and, and then go through four points this morning. What does this mission look like here in our text? Okay, so we're called by God to be on mission. What does this mission look like? What does it entail? What is it about? Number one, just jumping in here. It's a mission of authority. If you notice verse number 18, again, as I read, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. This is a mission of authority. Jesus says, all authority, all power, all rule, all lordship. Jesus is king. Jesus is ruler. And Jesus starts here with this reminder about his authority because we need to listen to this command. This is, this is not my mission. This is not CBC's mission in the sense of this is our telling you to do something or our calling you. Jesus is calling you to this. And there's no authority that supersedes his authority. Acts chapter 5 and verse 29 Peter and John, early on in the early church there, they say this to the rulers. They say, we must obey God rather than man because they understood where their authority laid, came from. So all authority everywhere. Notice the next five words, in heaven and on earth. So this is not only an earthly authority, but it's also a heavenly authority. His authority extends everywhere. God shares his authority with no other. Really what Jesus is claiming here is, I am God. He is deity. So that means all people, all angels, all demons, even Satan himself, fall under the authority of Jesus Christ. There is no authority, should say, no place his authority does not reach. There is no land or kingdom that his authority does not 
touch. All authority everywhere, Jesus says, is mine, has been given to me. It was given to him by God the Father on the basis of his life, death, burial, and resurrection. So Jesus, as God, was born into this world, lived a perfect life, died an unjust death in our place. He was buried in a tomb. He was raised to life. And in that work, he conquered death. He conquered sin. And so his work on the cross and his victory over the grave is what secured victory for his people once and for all. And so Jesus then is the only man worthy of all authority. It's on the basis of his perfect work that God the Father gives Jesus all authority in heaven and earth. Everything is under his rule. Think about what Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 1 and verses 20 and 21. He says, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ, when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. So Jesus possesses the full and perfect authority of God. This is who is issuing this command. Listen up. When Jesus speaks, God is speaking. When Jesus gives a command, God is giving a command. We, we live in an interesting time, or this year I should say maybe even has been interesting. We understand what recommendations are. We've heard CDC recommendations or the state recommendations or the WHO recommendations. And it's almost in the sense of like, well, that's what's recommended, but I can choose to maybe do something else. This is not, in Matthew 28, a recommendation or a suggestion. We don't have the option of saying, you know, I'd love to be out making disciples and sharing the gospel, but, you know, I have this hobby. I have these projects and this studying that I have to do. I have this work. I have other problems in my life. Or even, you know, my personality just doesn't, doesn't really kind of suit doing things like that. Christian, if you identify yourself as a Christian this morning, this is our call. And our authority is above any and all other authorities or commitments in our life. This is a mission of authority. Number two, this is a mission of action. Verse 19, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So Jesus, after he says, listen, you need to hear what I'm saying because I am the, the source of all authority and I'm giving you this command. He says, go. Or therefore go in light of this authority, you need to go. Now, this is not the primary command in the verse, but it, it, it carries a commanding force with it. It's a command calling his people to move from one place to another, to get up and go. 
And through the years, this has been really the, the calling card of missionaries to go to the ends of the earth. And in recent years, some have pointed out that this is a, well, this, this is actually a passive verb. And the idea should be more like, as you go, as you go about the normal course of your life, be doing mission. And you say, well, which, which is it? Is this, is this a command to, to get up and go somewhere? Or is it a command to, to, to live as you go? And I think the early church helps us to understand how they interpreted what Jesus' command was. As you go through the book of Acts, you see a church that, that shared the gospel and was spreading the gospel in their towns as they lived life. And they sent people out to the ends of the known world. They sent out missionaries and church planters. And, and, and truthfully, the two ideas of going literally from one place to another and living as you go sort of go hand in hand. Okay, Because if we're going to have a desire, if someone has a desire to go to the ends of the earth, there's going to be a desire already in them to minister right where they're at. It doesn't happen Okay, now I'll go and I'll start ministering and spreading the gospel and making disciples, but I'm already doing this now, and now God is leading me to go elsewhere. So it's both a call to get up and go and to live as you go. Call to action, go. But it's also a call, and here's the main imperative command in the text, make disciples. Go and make disciples. I think really what Jesus, as Jesus unfolds what making disciples look like, it entails really three, three things or three steps, if I could say it like that. First of all, it entails presenting the gospel, evangelizing. Mark chapter 1 and verse 15, Jesus says, repent and believe in the gospel. This is where life with him starts. So making disciples begins with the presenting, presenting of the realities that God is a holy God, perfect, separate from his creation. He is the king, he is the ruler, he is the judge, he is all-powerful, he is almighty, he is, he is all that scriptures describe him to be. People need to understand that. People also need to understand that humans, mankind, is not those things. We are sinful rebels against God. We are in need of a Savior. We need to understand that not only are we in need of a Savior, but that God has provided a Savior in himself, in the person of Jesus Christ, and Jesus' work is our only means of salvation. Unless we repent and believe in the gospel, there is no disciple there is no evangelizing. This is the gospel. This is the message that we need to be faithfully sharing with those who don't believe. But then what does Jesus say? Make disciples. We're evangelizing. Then we're baptizing. So once a person enters into a discipleship relationship, which we would say is salvation, they say, I'm going to follow Christ with all of my life, I'm trusting in his work alone for my salvation. They are baptized. We have a believer's baptism. They are believing, then they are baptized. 
And when we think about baptism, baptism is not just something that we, we do on our own as individuals. This is a local church ordinance. We do this as a church. There's a tie-in here. So baptism, we would say, is a public demonstration of faith and obedience by the new disciple, the one who has professed faith in Christ, and it is a public acknowledgement of the church's acceptance of that profession. Not that the local church knows the heart of that person, but they are accepting that person and that profession as a valid profession of faith unless they are, that is proven otherwise, which that leads into church discipline and all of that, which we're not going to get into. So baptism is both an individual action and a local church action. But this is often an overlooked command in the text. Oftentimes people just stop at, at evangelizing. We're just called to evangelize. But Jesus says, no, we're called to evangelize. And this is not an optional step here, but we are then called to baptize. And this is why part of the reason why CBC requires members to be baptized. Because it's as much of the command as go and evangelize and make disciples, then you are to baptize. We must obey it. So when we think about making disciples, we are evangelizing, we are baptizing as a local church, in that sense, even recognizing and bringing that person into the body, the local body. And then what does he say at the beginning of verse 20? Teaching all that I have commanded. Just as we become disciples through the proclamation of the gospel, we grow in maturity through the proclamation of the gospel. All of the commands given by our Lord that he says, look, I want you to teach and observe all of these things. These are not simply burdensome rules, but they are, they are actually life-giving, uh, life-giving rules, if I could say it like that, uh, as they are rightfully taught through, the, through a lens of a gospel of grace and mercy. So making disciples doesn't mean that we just get someone to pray a prayer, we send them on their way did my job. As God brings a person to salvation, we acknowledge that salvation through the visible sign of baptism, bringing them into the local membership, and then continuing to teach and instruct them to maturity in the faith. This is a call to evangelize, to baptize, to see that person to maturity. Jesus has given us a mission as individuals, as a local church, as individuals collective to share the gospel. This is a call to action for everyone. And God uses humble and weak people to build his church, so it's not just for a select few. Yes, God gifts people certain ways in the body, but he uses all. And some of us, some of us need to prayerfully consider Maybe God wants me to go. Maybe he's wanting me to go to the ends of the earth. If, if he's calling you, if he's laying something like that on your heart, are you willing to go? Are you willing to go? 
For others, your greatest mission field is with those who you are regularly interacting with on a day-to-day basis. Those people that you see in the normal course of your life. However, we often overlook these people because we are not mission-minded in our focus. We're, we're distracted. We're active with things. We're busy with things, but we're not busy in our mission. We're running here and there, and, and, and our, our culture has us doing all sorts of things, and maybe even our own heart, we would say, is causing us to, to run after all sorts of things. But this is exactly what this series is for to align our lives in a way that enables us to be intentional about living on mission because this is what we're called to. So this is a mission of authority. This is a mission of action. Number three, this is a mission to all nations. I skipped it on purpose as I was working through this command, but he says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. You think about Jesus' ministry, he was often criticized for going to the Samaritans, for rubbing shoulders with the the half-breeds, the outcasts. Even after Jesus ascends and you go into the book of Acts, there was much debate and struggle about whether or not the gospel should be preached to the Gentiles, those who are not Jewish. John read for us uh, these verses earlier, but I want to Just real briefly, look at Acts chapter 1, verse 8. I think it's on the screen here. Jesus says, You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So if there was any confusion at what Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations, Jesus makes it even clearer here as he details, look, you need to be... uh, making disciples in Jerusalem, in the specific location that you live, in Judea, in the, in the larger region, in Samaria, I think we might say it like this, to those who are different and despised, and then to the ends of the earth, to all places. Our mission is a mission that has no boundaries and no prejudice. Much has happened lately in our country centered on racial prejudice. I think everybody's aware of all of those things that are happening. And to be clear, and not not to minimize anything, but, but there is only one race. Jesus died for the sins of all people, from all nations, of all colors, of all languages, of all cultures. There is one Savior. So Christianity is not a white religion, Jesus is not a white savior. And as we talk about our mission as a church, we need to be clear. We we aren't called to keep other ethnicities at a distance and throw gospel grenades and hope they get saved and figure things out. If we understand what our mission, as I just walked through, what we're called to be doing, we are called to be making disciples. And that means getting in the trenches, coming alongside them, welcoming them into the body, the baptizing and the teaching. It means that we will have meaningful relationships with people from all walks of life and all ethnic backgrounds, depending on our context. 
The church is to be a melting pot of people. But both in color of skin and social status, financial status, we're, we're called people to not discriminate. We understand that, right? So this means that there are times when you will, not, you will need to not laugh at the racial joke and say, hey, these people were actually created in God's image for God's glory. We need to do a heart check in our lives about how we view people from, from different ethnicities and what stereotypes we find ourselves believing Now, culturally, that, that being said, I think that is very much scriptural, but culturally, we'll be, we're being called to do a lot of things. Speak out about this, this justice, that justice, all, all of these different things. However, what, what, we're, what our culture is missing and what we're called to is that our greatest voice ought to be a voice for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do we need to be bold to stand up against prejudice? Yes. But even more so, we need to be bold to stand up and tell people that they are sinful. We need to be bold to let people know that there is only one way of salvation. We need to be bold and articulate to tell people that unless they repent and turn to Jesus Christ, they will be eternally damned. It doesn't matter the color of their skin or their background. We are on mission for Jesus to the ends of the earth, and at times this will make us uncomfortable, but we are not called to be comfortable. So I just want to ask a question. Do you find yourself ministering to people who are only like you? Whether that is the color of your skin, or financial status, or upbringing, or what side of the tracks they grew up on, so to speak. We need to be a people that is not only sending people to all the nations, but engaging all the nations as they are being sent to us. Number four. This is a mission with Jesus always present. If you think about the disciples as Jesus is giving this command here after the resurrection, they, they were distraught. They were confused. Jesus died and he left them. And they're, they're wondering, what, what are we going to do? Our Savior is no longer here. Then Jesus comes back to the, from the dead and all seems to be right. And then Jesus gives a command. Knowing that the plan of God would be that he would ascend to heaven and would come back at a later time. So this meant that Jesus was giving them a command, but he was not going to be physically with them on the earth. He, he wasn't physically going to be carrying this out with them. However, we know the Holy Spirit would come. Again, John read that for us in Acts chapter 1. And then Jesus gives this final word of encouragement. I am with you always. I am with you day after day after day, and I will continue to be with you day after day after day until I return. Until you see me again, I will be with you. 
we don't, we're not called to an easy mission. It's a hard thing. It may cost you your reputation. It may cost you your comfort. It might cost you your wealth, your security, financially, family and friends. It may even at some point cost you your life. We don't know. It's a mission that's going to put you in difficult situations, answering difficult questions. It's a mission that will take prayer and time and, 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 and pleading with God. It's going to take energy and action. But here's the hope that Jesus gives. In every prayer, in every action, in every difficult situation, in every difficult answer, in every loss of whatever it is that we may lose, Jesus is with you. He's there with you. We're not doing this alone. We aren't making disciples in our own power and wisdom. Wisdom, Disciple making is a spiritual endeavor accomplished by God with Jesus always present. Maybe you get afraid at times to be actively on mission, sharing the gospel, because you think, man, I'm, I'm just here alone. I, I'm not, I don't have all the answers, and, and I'm just afraid of doing it. But here's a comfort. Jesus is with you. Not only is he with you, but you have someone that's leading you and guiding you and will guide you as you trust and obey him to do what he's called you to do. He says to his disciples, I will give you the words to say even in those moments that you're afraid and you don't know what to say. As we wrap up our time in the word, the mission that we're called to is a blessing. We get to proclaim the glories of God in the gospel to a dark world, to a lost world. God has called us out. If we are trusting in him and we are saved by faith alone in Christ alone, he's called us out to be able to proclaim these glories to people so that they will believe and enter into this new creation as well. That's a blessing. So this is not, this is not, it's a serious thing, but it's not a call of guilt. It's not a call to say, hey, you need to feel guilty this morning because of how little or, or, or how much you've been living on mission. But really, it's, it's a call to say, we are blessed to be able to live this out and, and carry out this command. It's a call of compassion. It's the way that God has designed for men and women, boys and girls, to be rescued from eternal judgment, brought into everlasting life. It's the only way. Someone needs to tell them. So even as we're called to be on mission, we often get consumed with these things in our culture. And we get busy and distracted and the reality is if, if we can't live on mission because we're too busy, then, then we're simply just too busy. If we say, you know, I, I, as I, I hear what you're saying and I hear this command, and I would say, man, I don't know if my life is one that's focused on this call to action because I have all these other things going on. We need to really seriously look at these other things. 
We may need to slow down certain things so that we can be intentional about being on mission. And, and I'm not talking about just a matter of carving out an hour of our week so we can, we can be on mission. We can go out and evangelize. We, we can serve in some way within the church. It's really a matter of orienting our lives in such a way that the mission we are called to flows from our life day to day. Moment to moment. You see, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how many sports awards you've won, how many academic achievements, scholarships you get, how high you've climbed the corporate ladder, how many different skills you know in life. If we have accomplished all the things the world has told us to accomplish, we've, we've done it all, but we failed to preach the gospel to those who God has placed in our life. Those people right here in this local church, that neighbor living next door, those people we spend eight, ten hours a day at work with, our own family, parents, talking about you and your kids, we're failing to preach the gospel to, to these people. No matter what else we accomplish in life, we are failing in our mission. Our mission is infused in all of life, so it begins with our worship. As we cultivate a passion and a love for God, and the good news of the gospel transforms us from the inside out, it's cultivated as we come together in worship, and we we are encouraged, and we are admonished, and and instructed, and exhorted to, to live out this life as we leave this place, it's lived out as we go into our workplace, as we're doing yard work around the house, as we're walking uh, for a walk in our neighborhood, as we go to the gym and work out, as we go to the supermarket and interact with people there. It's lived out as as we go to the campsites, as we go hunting. There is no place that we are not on mission. And so we are to be prayerfully engaging God to open up doors of opportunity for whatever our day would hold for us. This is what life on mission looks like. This is what each of us are called to as believers in Christ.